Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on 25th of July 2012. For newcomers, I always start off by telling you to make use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. you find over a thousand audios for free download. You'll find transcripts for download to in English and all of the sites listed there. And if you go into AlanWattSentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages too for print up. And what I do is go through the history of the big system uh, that planned this world order, this type of uh, scientific world order. Uh, people think it's a scientific dictatorship, but partially right, but it's the bankers at the top, the big banking families who got together at the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s and formed big institutions, private clubs, you might say, that now run governments. They put their own members into governments, have done for the last hundred years. And they use academia and specialists and scientists to bring about this rational world of theirs where we'll all behave and do what we're told as we go through the transitions into a world order, a real world order. Everything is to be ordered from birth to death, including what you'll work at, if you'll even be born, if they need you for the economy. It comes down to what they say is rationalism. So there's only so many going to get born every year down the road to suit the economy. And the economy comes first. After all, the bankers live on interest, and they've got a great interest in all of us and what we do. So help yourself to those audios. Find out how it happens, the big foundations they have up its fronts, the parallel government which they created, and the thousands of NGO groups which lobby for them all the time to get laws passed, which, of course, the foundations want passed. And governments, too, are simply waiting to get them put onto them so they can pass them as well. Remember, too, I bring, uh, you bring me actually this show to you by listening to it. Uh, I don't bring on private guests as sponsors, as basically advertisers who give you bad news and give you antidotes. I simply give you the hard facts of the world as it is and where it's supposed to go. And it's up to you how you're going to handle it. But you do have to handle it one way or another by understanding it and then making decisions for you and those around you that maybe want to move, for instance, move out of the country. Because we know for a fact that the U.S. is going to go through incredible turmoil. All the writing is in the wall. So you can support me by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and donating to me. And uh, Because this is not a business. And uh, otherwise I go commercial with it. And then you become commercial. So, as I say, if you want to support me, buy the books and discs and donate. You can do it from the U.S. to Canada by using personal check or international postal money order from your post office. You can send cash or you can use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations are really, really welcome at these in these austere times. Uh, what I do, as I say, is I, I link the past to the present uh, give you the big foundations, the organizations that are continuously working half for a hundred years. They have shifts in fact, people working night and day on specialized areas of society and all kinds of psychology from for all age groups by the way specializing from zero to five and then five to ten 
to do with how they'll market ideas into your head, how they'll indoctrinate children in school, even in kindergarten, in fact. It's so incredibly minute. And what they do is indoctrinate you for the kind of society that you will grow up in, which will be vastly different from even where we are now, which is vastly different from where we were 20, 30 years ago. That's how it's done. You create the society that you want if you're in power. You create the future that you want if you're in power for yourselves, of course. And the general public are left in the dark. They're utterly ignorant of the manipulations on their own minds. In fact, they're they're ignorant of where their opinions come from and how they're put into their head for them by experts. And they wrote about this 50, 60 years ago, how they do this. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, carrying through the matrix. And this, everything that happens in a large scale in this world, especially the big spells that are cast, wars are spells for instance, uh, they get us all in a grip and uh, we're, we're forced to go along with watching and fascination and horror at the same time as countries are plundered, and slaughtered, etc. under the name of commerce and, and saving the people by killing them. Uh, things like that, it happens your whole life in fact because everything today works through a system, a very incredibly uh, accurate and intensive system of propaganda. Very, very good propaganda. Uh, it's been perfected long since uh, Bernays started it off, and uh, and whole schools and universities are devoted to the art of propaganda, how to get ideas across the general public and lie to them in such a way you put them back to sleep, and, and or such a way which they'll actually believe. Whatever it happens to be, they'll believe uh, what you tell them, even though the shots on the newscast will show you otherwise. You'll you'll basically uh, throw out that idea or your own perceptions, and you'll take the media spin on it, because the media, remember, is owned by the same parallel government that runs the world. Uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, all members of it, all, all the large media happens to be TV and the paper media as well. So you're living through constant propaganda and everything, and right down to your local police station, they have a public relations or propaganda expert. So there was a complaint put in there, say a shooting of a civilian, then they, they bring out the PR person to just spin you around in circles. And the first trick, of course, is never to answer the question. You, you, they, they, you think you're getting it answered, but they go on a spin on a different topic. Politicians now take courses in it too. All the British politicians admitted to take courses in propaganda, and so they never ask the question that's actually asked of them. What they do is ask the, answer a question that they wished had been asked of them. Big, big, big difference there too. And you'll you see that in some of the top politicians. There's a series on CBC, in fact. I might put links up eventually once I've got all the, the, the series. And you can listen to see how propaganda is taught and how it works on the general public. Because really, we're not supposed to ever know what the truth is on anything. That's the art of governance, you see. Now, getting back to all the shootings we've had recently too, which again is a spell on the general public. 
uh, and that are never answered. There's always too many loose, loose uh, ends lying around to make any sense to the general public, and no one investigates them generally. And if you do, too, it doesn't really matter because the public will always take, eventually, uh, the mainstream's answer. I've said for many, many years, you suspend your disbelief. And it's a term that's been used now by other people who are catching on to it. But because if you suspend your disbelief, uh, you're supposed to say, I won't believe this media, this is terrible, there's too many loose ends here. But eventually it becomes so incredible, you, you suspend your disbelief and go along with the mainstream because it's too hard for your brain to grasp that you're being conned and lied to in such an incredible way by people with straight faces who seem to be actually they're trained to listen to them like big fathers on television and you've watched them your whole life long and surely these people couldn't all be lying to you like this but actually they are they are you see there's nothing truthful on that television nothing now Norway's uh, mass killer testified Thursday that he played video games as a way to train for a shooting spree call that killed 77 people last summer. In particular, Anders Bering Breivik uh, said at his trial that he played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 as a means of shooting practice, according to CNN's report. The, the confessed shooter also said he once played the online game World of Warcraft, a role-playing adventure with multiple players from around the world for as many as 16 hours a day. And so that's what he says. He says it's role-playing adventures. You get into a role, you're the character, and you carry it out. And um, young children, very young children, have a hard time, a very difficult time, because they live in a, in a semi-hypnotic state, young children, of imagination and reality all the time. So they get a difficult time with role-playing. They can really get into the character and until they don't want to let the character go when it's time to eat, that kind of thing. But some people, too, it will last longer into even adult life. So uh, these role-playing games, remember, for, for World of Warcraft, and especially all the ones that came out by the military-industrial complex uh, that were used for the army training, are, are used now in what we call average normal video games. They're very addictive, very addictive. But they were made by the military, still are made by the military. Pentagon puts money into them. And the idea is that you're desensitized to killing that's what most of them are for, to desensitize you from actual killing. You're not killing real people. People aren't real anyway. Uh, they become confused with real people and the targets. And all you do remember is to go through as, as many as you can and kill as many as you can. That's ultimately it. And you win at the end when you've killed them all. So it definitely affects the, the psyche. There's no doubt about it at all. So it says here that um, for people who have long suspected there's some link between violent video games and real-life uh, world of violence, the statement offered frightened, uh, frightening a new evidence for why video game industries should be more strictly regulated. And then, of course, once you give something out there, uh, most people who don't go nuts with it will obviously stand up for having these things. Just many gamers and columnists, however, rolled their eyes collectively and muttered and said, here we go again. Remember, too, it's big, big business. So you're going to get a lot of the professionals doing this. How many times are we going to do this? Paul Tashi wrote in a Forbes story, the idiocy of blaming video games for the Norway massacre. This is, is getting absurd. Norway killer played World of Warcraft, which probably means nothing at all, declared a headline on Time.com, which shares a parent company with CNN. 
Whether shooting up video games can incite violence has been a long-running debate amongst the public as well as in clinical psychology. This type of discussion tends to come up every time it's revealed that a high-profile killer also played video games. Perhaps the most memorial case was the Columbine High School shooting in Colorado, 1999, during which experts speculated about the influence of the game Doom on the teenagers who carried out the crime. And for years, the controversial Grand Theft Auto series, in which players can kill police officers, was targeted by critics who said it glamorized criminals and promotes violence. The makers of the game were even sued by the attorney for a convicted cop killer in Alabama, who argued the game inspired his clients. Ultimately, it seems like science should judge whether playing violent video games can lead to a propensity for violence in the real world, and a number of recent studies have cast doubts about the link between video games and violence, but there's no definitive answer. Well, of course there's a definitive answer, because, you see, it isn't just video games. Television itself has utterly, completely turned all that was, all the system that was, upside down to what it is today. It's all predictive programming through television, uh, right down to why do you think there's no families anymore? That was one of the main uh, debates that the big um, CFR groups uh, talked about back in the 40s, destruction of the family unit along the same uh, track, really, as the communists were doing. And it's all happened, and promote promiscuity. Monkey see, monkey do, you see. Worked very, very well. So they know we can be highly influenced indeed by what we see and also what you're playing at. And if you're playing at kill, 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 and if you're playing 12 hours a day or more and some of them are really addicted uh, to these games, there's, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. And But they're meant to be addictive. As I say, uh, the Pentagon puts a lot of money into these uh, games that children buy or the parents buy for the children. And uh, we see the outcomes of it today when nothing is real anymore. People aren't real. They're just characters in a video game as you mow them down. Obviously. They're even recruiting, recruiting guys straight out. Uh, they haven't even gone into the military in a sense. They, they're brought into the military, but they didn't, don't even go through even basic training because the, the military is now watching to see who are the best players on games. And they recruit them right in to fly these drones. You see these pop-bellied guys who are addicted to it, but getting uniforms thrown upon them, and then they're sitting in a chair, you know, doing their snacks as usual, just like they were at home. But they're flying drones now. That's the reality of it. Now, the judge handling the Aurora Theatre, should it's interesting, Aurora, you know, the, the whole thing, yeah, the precursor of the Dawn Aurora and all the rest of it, and uh, the, the color red, Colorado, the shooting. Uh, and it says... It says the case will not allow cameras in the courtroom when the suspect, James Egan Holmes, uh, learns the formal charges against him next week. 18th Judicial District Judge Chief William Sylvester Tuesday denied a request for video and still cameras to document the hearing this coming Monday at the Arapaho County or County Courthouse. Sylvester's order says he weighed whether allowing cameras in the courtroom when it interfere with Holmes's right to a fair trial or would be too disruptive. I don't think they want the public either to see the condition this guy is actually in. Since the hearing is open to the media and to the general public, so the media and public will have ready access to the proceeding, he said, uh, but no cameras. One video and one still camera were permitted in the courtroom Monday when Holmes made his first appearance before a judge. Images of Holmes with a blank expression on his face, occasionally spreading his eyes wide or appearing to doze off, led to widespread debate about whether Holmes is mentally unwell, drugged, or faking. Well, I don't think the guy is faking. I think he's totally confused as to what happened. He probably doesn't remember an awful lot about it. 
And this was interesting. So much of this case is interesting. Uh, there's so much you can't really grasp or even... There are too many coincidences to things, as I say, that people would never believe you anyway. But it's interesting when you go into it and... And you find out uh, the history of even the Batman thing. Why the Batman thing to start with? Why that one? Why not some other one? There's lots of them coming out all the time. And um, it it coincides too with uh, some really terrible ones where they're put out as comedies where an old guy catches on with a young girl, a school girl, and goes out blasting people all over the place for fun. It's supposed to be a comedy, you know, know, and um, that just got released too a couple of weeks ago. Why not that one? Well, it takes time to to set these things up, you see, that's why. Not just a person who's going to be picked to do it, but it takes time for those who are manipulating it all behind the scenes. But this um, article here is about the Batman series, and it says, Pop culture historians regard detective comics as DC comics. And you never really thought they were detective comics, but Batman is, is a detective, right? As the first comic devoted exclusively to one theme, began with a variety of detective-related stories, from, from Islam Bradley to Sax Romer, and then they go into Batman, the introduced Batman. Back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix. I'm talking about the Batman series and why people are so into Batman and these comics. They are very addictive to children, you know, and they really stick in their heads. All the scenes, the plots, and everything else. And some of them really become fanatics on it too. But this one article, this one one series here, was called the Doomsday Book, a special story on it, where uh, Batman uh, is introduced. But here, Batman meets Sherlock Holmes. You know, the name Holmes is the shooter's name in this particular theatre here. And it's quite fascinating to see how they, they bring the story together. And even uh, they find that the, the anti-hero type thing is Moriarty. He's actually, um, he, he actually is the same uh, devilish character that you see down through the ages under different names. Moriarty is, is also the Joker, you see, in this particular series. But then you, you go into this one here to do with, uh, and I'll try and catch it and find it with so much up here. Dick Grayson, right? Dick Grayson is a fictional character, a superhero that appears in comic books published by DC Comics. He was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and illustrator Jerry Robinson. Remember they have Robin uh, in Batman and Robin, remember? So these are the guys who created parts of them too. He first appeared in the Detective Comics number 38, April 1940. Okay, So remember that Robinson and um, Dick Grayson is a fictional character. That's supposed to be the fictional name of uh, Robin, the character, in the movies, you see. And he's, when he's not wearing his outfit, his little pair of tights and all that, he's named Dick Grayson. So we go back again. Who's the main investigator for this? For this uh, showdown in Aurora, right? It's Mr. J. Grayson Robinson here. Grayson Robinson is a, a sheriff of the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office in a position he's held since 2002. He also serves as the vice president, vice chairperson for the commission, Sheriff Robinson, 
Sheriff Robinson, is actually involved with the National Sheriff's Association, so he's got both names in there, Robin and Grayson. The two names that Robin used, uh, his, his persona character and his so-called Civvy Street character. It's all in one name here. Mr. This is an investigator for Mr. Holmes here. Do you get what I'm saying here? <laughs> This is actively involved the National Sheriff's Association, currently involved on the legislative affairs, counterterrorism and weapons of mass destruction and accreditations, detention and corrections committees. Also a member of the International Association of Chiefs of Police, that means he works for the United Nations as well, and the Police Executive Research Forum. He's a bachelor's degree in business administration, a master's degree in public administration from the University of Colorado. Sheriff Robinson is also a graduate of the FBI National Academy, the FBI Law Enforcement Executive Development Seminar, and the State and Local Executives Program at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. The Rappahoe County Sheriff's Office has been CALEA law enforcement accredited since 1988, etc., etc. So, you can't make this stuff up, all these coincidences. Who, who's playing with our heads here? Do you ever wonder about that? Who's playing with your, our, our heads? When the characters from the Batman series are the main characters that do in, the investigations of the, the Batman murder, basically, in the Aurora Theatre. You can't make this stuff up. can't do it. You just can't do it. Jerry Robinson, R.I.P., pioneering Batman artist and comics ambassador, dies at 89. I'll put this link up tonight as well. He was Jai Robinson, Renaissance comics great, whose career was launched at the dawn of superhero comic books, beginning with the Batman, uh, died in his sleep Wednesday in New York, uh, blah, 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 blah. He was 89 years old. And remember, Robin was also Grayson, right? It's quite something, this. It's just amazing. It really is absolutely amazing, quite fascinating in itself, isn't it? Now, they're also saying that the movie Massacre Suspect sent a chilling note to psychiatrists before attack. And James Holmes accused gunmen in last Friday's Midnight Movie Massacre. Remember Holmes again, Batman, the series they did together, and uh, their actually was the Joker. I just mentioned there. I'll put all these links up tonight for those that want to go into it. So the accused gunman last Friday's Midnight Movie Massacre in Colorado mailed a notebook full of details about how he's going to kill people to a University of Colorado psychiatrist before the attack. But the parcel set un- sat on an open mailroom for as long as a week before its discovery Monday, a law enforcement source told foxnews.com. Is it true? Is it not true? We'll never really know. Police and FBI agents were called to the University of Colorado Anschutz uh, Medical Campus in Aurora Monday after the psychiatrist, who's also a professor at the school, reported receiving a passage believed to be from the suspect. Now, I mean, believed to be, either is or isn't. How would they believe it unless it's written on it, right? Although that package turned out to be from someone else and harmless. Now, how could you get them confused? I mean, if you believed it to be from that suspect, it must have something written on it to make you believe it was from that suspect, like his name and address. But it's from someone else. So that means, well, that would, you would not have been confused in the first place. you understand what I'm saying here? A second law enforcement source said authorities got a warrant from a county judge and took the package away. They found another package there, apparently, when they were looking for the first one. When it was opened, its chilling contents were revealed. Inside the package was a notebook full of details about how he was going to kill people. That isn't awfully convenient. The source told foxnews.com there were drawings of what he was going to do, drawings and illustrations of the massacre, all stick figures. 
among the images shown in the spiral bound notebooks, pages with the stick uh, wielding figures blowing away other stick figures. Why would he do that? Sent a psychiatrist then turn up there because they've been blown to pieces if that was the case. Giving the hand away. Why would why, why you go to that trouble? Doesn't make sense. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. And we do live in a kaleidoscope of a world, don't we? Because everything is censored, but you went through so many filters to take truth out of things until you're left with all this junk at the bottom. We're supposed to parrot off and, and repeat to each other. That's how our reality is given to us. Because, you see, the little people down below are not supposed to know ever really what's going on. Even though we can see for yourself, if you've got a bit of smart left in you, hasn't been drugged out of you or knocked out of you through your injections and the rotten food that you're getting or the poisons in your water or the stuff that's sprayed from the air every day. Now, a feudal system is what we live in. It's a feudal system. Corporations run the world. They're all in bed together. And even your countries are corporate entities, really. And they make deals between each other as corporate entities. That doesn't include you, by the way. They're privately owned. They're feudal. But uh, even these things at the Olympics, Olympics are a corporate corporation, and we all pay for these, these darn things. Anything that was to be international was to be promoted, you see, after World War II, the release and push, or even before World War II, they said it was a way to bring the world together. There's a big plan of, the, again, the Royal Institute of International Affairs a long time ago in the Milner Group. They promote everything was international, but now we end up paying for it all for this farce of a show where people can get to go and, and throw things about and, and, and run like children and get gold for it. And, um, and it's supposed to be a great thing. But every country that they leave afterwards is always left with many, many, many millions of dollars in debt. And, and yet they always tout it as a great thing for the economy. Well, it is for theirs, you see. Here's why. Britain's flooded with brand police. Brand police, like logos and all that. That's own, owned by the Olympic Games guys. To protect sponsors. This is the first time I've read this kind of thing happening. Hundreds of, un, uh, of, of uniformed Olympic officers will begin touring the whole of Britain today and forcing sponsors multi-million pound marketing deals and a highly organized mission that contrasts with the scramble to find enough staff to secure Olympic sites. Almost 300 enforcement officers will be seen across the country checking firms to ensure they're not staging ambush marketing or illegally associating themselves with the games at the expense of official sponsors such as Adidas, McDonald's, Coca-Cola and BP. The clampdown goes on while 3,500 soldiers on leave are brought in to bail out uh, the security firm G-Force, which admitted it could not supply the numbers of security staff it had promised. Yesterday, the culture secretary... Remember, too, it was interesting to me that the, the first people who had the culture secretaries for the governments were the communist countries, and now all the Western countries have them. They decide where your culture is going to be, you see. You think it's always you are the culture. No, you see, they give you the culture, and they alter it when it suits them. Every, every government's got culture secretaries and a whole staff working to make sure they're planning the right culture for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Anyway, the culture secretary, Jeremy Hunt, refused to rule out that even more soldiers may be called upon to help with security, but dismissed the issue as merely a hitch. 
However, as well as the regular army, the Olympics brand army will start its work as, with a vengeance today. Now, they've already gone after people like butchers who would hang like five rows, circles of uh, sausages in their window. You can't do that. It's illegal. You get fined for doing that. Things like that. No kidding. It's already happening. Says wearing purple caps and tops, the experts in trading and in advertising, working for the Olympics Delivery Authority, the ODA, they're experts in it, see, and sausages and things and chips and all that, are heading the biggest brand protection operation staged in the UK. Under legislation specially introduced for the London Games, they have the right to enter shops and offices and bring court actions with fines up to £20,000. Olympics organisers have warned businesses that during London 2012, their advertising should not include a list of banned words. Banned words, folks, including gold. You can't say gold during this because only the Olympians can see this, you see. Silver and bronze. Summer and sponsors and London. You can't use any of those words while they're there. You can't use any of these words while you're there. If they give the impression of a formal connection to the Olympics, see examples of banned and allowed advertising below. I'll give you a list of it at the end of the night. I'll pull these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It says publicans, that's the, 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 that's the, the pub owners, have been advised uh, that blackboards advertising live TV coverage must not refer to beer brands or brewers without an Olympics deal. You have to pay for it. Well, caterers and restaurateurs have been told not to advertise dishes that could be construed as having an association with the event. At the 40 Olympic venues, 800 retailers have been banned from serving chips, the french fries, to avoid infringing fast food rights secured by McDonald's. See, all the big corporations get first dibs, and then you can't use anything similar to them. Marina Palomba for the McCain or McCann World Group Agency in London described the rules as the most draconian law in advance of an Olympic Games ever. The ODA and LOCOG, London Organising Committee of Olympic Games, say the rules are necessary to protect brands, all their sponsors. These rights are acquired by companies who invest millions of pounds to help support the staging of the Games, Locog said. People who seek the same benefits for free by engaging in ambush marketing or producing counterfeit goods are effectively depriving the Games of revenue. Well, the Games leave nothing behind them except massive debt anyway to the, to the people who sponsor them, the, the, the poor schmucks at the bottom. Some £1.4 billion of the Games' 11.4 billion budget comes from private sector sponsors, the International Olympic Committee's uh, 11 gold uh, global partners, including Coca-Cola, Visa and Procter & Gamble, are contributing £700 million, while £700 million comes to London 2012 partners, including Adidas, BT, EDF and Lloyd's TSB. The scale of the brand enforcement squad is nonetheless likely to intensify criticism that the Olympics has become too corporate. It was always a corporation. And big boys get to their sort of same retirement pen. They get kicked up to the top there and do nothing their whole damn lives from then on except let the money flow into their pockets. It's, it's absolutely stinking and corrupt. Always has been. Absolutely corrupt. And we don't need it anyway. Who needs it? But again, your, your, your governments are all hand in glove with the corporations, of course, and they must get their swag bags stuffed full of your cash. Flu vaccines to be offered to all children. Offered, is how they put it. Again, that's going through the PR 
understand. This is a handout because most most uh, media take handouts from the vaccine companies, and so they write them up for them. They never say that, of course, in, in the, the articles. So it's going to be offered to all children. You know it's going to be mandatory, right? Officials say the nasal spray vaccination for two to seventeen-year-olds will protect other more vulnerable people. It's just like it's like DARPA saying we're doing this to help cripples. You know, DARPA is not in the business of helping cripples. They create cripples. You understand? But they always use the same spins. These all come from public relations experts. So this is to protect more more vulnerable people. It's nothing to do with really protecting the children or, or dumbing them down or, or giving them autism. No, it's to, it's to protect more vulnerable people. That puts people into a schizoid attitude. Well, maybe they're right. Maybe they really want to help the elderly, you know, and stop them getting sick. All children are to be offered the flu vaccine. Up to 9 million children would be eligible for a new nasal spray vaccine, which has just been licensed by the medical regulators. Until now, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization has only recommended that children with underlying health conditions have the jab. Scientists have previously said healthy children are unlikely to become severely ill with seasonal flu and that they develop long-lasting immunity from the disease. And the best immunity is when you catch it and you get over it. That's true immunity, not this artificial thing with all this synthetic viruses they put into you. But experts, here we are again on the, on the JICVI, say children spread the disease to more vulnerable people, such as the elderly, and have concluded universal vaccination is now worthwhile. Health Secretary Andrew Lansky has accepted the recommendation. Calculations suggest that even if just a third of children are vaccinated, flu cases across the country would drop by 40%. That would be a computer analysis again. That would mean 11,000 fewer hospital admissions and 2,000 fewer deaths. They always give you this pablum to try and rationalize and, and back up their claims. Anyway, it says, it says when, you, when you look down the bottom, it says, um, uh, we accept the advice for experts committee that rolling out a wider program could further protect children with even modest take-up helping to protect our most vulnerable. The hundred million pounds per year program, you understand, this is long-term sales. It's a long-term sales deal for the big vaccine companies. Guarantee. Where can you, as a small business guy, get get a, a 10-year guaranteed sales that, that the government or anybody else is going to buy this from you? You can't. That's why they lobby governments. That's what the governments are now for, you understand. A hundred million pounds per year program. We'll start no earlier than 2014, according to the Department of Health. And it's a nasal spray. Scientists say the new nasal spray vaccines give children much better protection than the traditional jab. You better just take their word for it, I guess. And it says they contain live flu viruses that have been altered, so it cannot cause a full-blown infection, but still triggers a robust immune uh, response. So this is from an expert, right, from Oxford University, Sarah Gilbert. It's been altered, so it can't cause a full-blown infection, right? It says the virus is cold adapted, so only it replicates in the nose, where temperatures are 34 degrees. It can't survive in the lungs, where temperatures are slightly higher. Oh, they're so confident, eh? And then it says, so you do infect children, but they don't get the disease. However, she warned, there is a small risk that children could spread the virus from their nose. They may have to stay away from elderly relatives for a few days after the vaccination. Well, isn't that the whole purpose they claimed at the beginning that they were going to give the children so they wouldn't pass on anything to the, to the elderly? And now it tells you at the very bottom that they stay away from the elderly for, for a few days after vaccination because they'll be shedding the virus. It's going to cause the problem. 
That's your typical handout there. Double speak. You see? Typical, typical. And I also put up two, uh, whistleblowers, blowers, uh, blog. It says, and the ATF's Orwellian warning to whistleblowers. Of course, everyone's heard the little audio that came out by the guy at the ATF telling the people not to be whistleblowers and warning about them, about the chain of command, etc., etc., and what might happen to them if they become a whistleblower. I'll put that up tonight, too. Now, Canada, you don't hear much about Canada, but of course, we're tied in with the U.S., we're into the NAFTA deal, we're sharing all our intelligence together, the FBI knows all our histories in Canada, because they've got access to all our computers now, and vice versa. We share um, customs, import duties and stuff with the states, and and even your... Our, um, Agricultural systems are merged together. Everything's merged together. For the people who don't know so, it's been merged for quite a few years, and, and they're doing further mergers and deeper mergers, just like Europe is deeper mergers uh, every year ongoing. So when the U.S. goes down, Canada goes down with it because we're tied financially, completely financially together. It's really one big system of corporations running the shows here. That's what we are now. And so Canada's ready for it too. They're getting ready for it too now. They've been a bit lagging behind in the U.S. because Canadians don't generally do what they're told in crisis. But it says, Navistar defends Canada to support Royal Canadian Mounted Police, that's RCMP, with armoured vehicles. So here come in the armoured vehicles for Canada. The national, Navistar Defence Canada, a wholly owned subsidiary of Navistar Defence, LLC today, announced that it delivered on a USD $14 million contract from the Government of Canada to supply the Royal Canadian Mounted Police with international uh, armoured personnel carriers, APCs. The new vehicles will provide increased protection and rescue capabilities for the RCMP officers and members of the public during high-risk situations. So they know there's going to be high-risk situations coming down the pipe. Mind you, too, these lobbyists uh, in every country now have all the houses outside parliaments and, and congresses, and the, the, all they do, they do is lobby all the time for their big contracts. And a lot of money changes hands to the, to the members of parliament that do deals with them. You know that, too, of course, it's obvious. The contract to support the RCMP is the company's first MXT vehicle sale to the police and security sector. The RCMP is well regarded throughout the world as a top police service. We're honoured to have been selected to provide MXT vehicles, said Dan Webster, President Navistar Defence Canada. Navistar proudly supports allied military forces overseas, and now we're taking steps to help security forces to serve and protect here at home. In addition, this award supports the product diversification goals of our parent company. The RCMP is unique as it serves as a national, federal, provincial and municipal policing body. It's actually a paramilitary body, don't forget that. The RCMP provides policing services to three regional, to three territories, eight provinces except Ontario, Quebec, more than 150 municipalities and more than 600 Aboriginal communities. In addition, the RCMP provides federal policing services to all Canadians. So it's, there's also related uh, reports too on armoured armored vehicles and so on and so on and so on. But they're expecting trouble down the pike as we go into austerity, you understand. Uh, as austerity means that more money must go to corporations as you get richer, and that must come from you, and until you're nothing left to, to, except paying your, your bills. That's austerity. That's what they mean by austerity. No extra spending cash. Post-consumerist society. Now, Iceland has hired an ex-cop 
to hunt down the bankers that wrecked its economy. Uh, it's a pity the rest of the countries are doing that. But they won't do it, of course, because the banks own the, the rest of the countries. But it says here, if you're involved in this light, Icelandic high finance in the run-up to the recession, you might want to start watching your back. That's because the government has appointed a white-collar crime bounty hunter who wants to haul your behinds in alive, to be sure. Le Monde reporter Charlotte Shabazz has a profile of uh, Olafur Por Hoxon, a former local police lieutenant whom the Iceland government appointed to track down individuals likely to have helped sink the country's banking sector during the credit crunch. Hoxon's job description, according to the press, uh, Europe's translate, uh, translation of the piece says, On the one hand, we have to investigate all suspicion of fraud and offences committed before 2009. On the other hand, we have to bring the lawsuits against the suspects to court ourselves. Hoxon explains, This is a, a totally new method which allows the investigators to follow the case and the judicial system to know the cases like the back of their hand. This is in- indispensable in order to compete with the well-prepared defense attorneys, who have all the cash, of course, of course. Now it says, Hoxson oversees a posse of 100 researchers to help track down outlaws. He's netted some major convictions since starting in 2009, including the former chief of staff to the country's finance minister on insider trading charges. Many others await their day in court, Shabazz writes. And they'll track you down even if you've fled abroad. Well, that's not bad. As his searches continue and the team pursues its investigations abroad in the foreign subsidiaries of the Icelandic Bank and includes questioning foreigners, Jibas writes. We enjoy full international cooperation, stressed Olafur Hoxson. And um, then it gives you 16 reasons to move to Iceland right now. And maybe that's the, the thing you do, you know, who, who knows the way it's going everywhere else. The writing's on the wall everywhere. You can see what's coming down. In fact, they're telling you quite openly what's coming down. And again, you'll suspend your disbelief and go back into Disneyland and, and, and want to escape into how you think it used to be, which was all fantasy as well. I'll put up tonight, too, an article on climate modeling failure. They're starting to admit their special computers with all their special scientists feeding rubbish into them have vastly overpredicted what was going to happen to the Earth's temperature. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. What a matrix indeed. But reading this article about the climate models, these special computers they spent billions and billions of dollars on, they give them all, all scary answers. That's what they feed into it, a bunch of faulty stuff. And it comes out guaranteed to give you scary answers, to give up all your rights. And we're going to fry, we're going to melt, and we're going to freeze, whatever it happens to be. They get exactly what they want. Because all the far left, remember, when they brought down what was called communism, went into the big green movement to and they have to get total control some way. So control of the climate was one of the things. The climate was going to go. We'd all have to put under total control and austerity and yada, 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 etc., etc., into the big cities, and then get managed there from, as we all go down the hill and die off, basically. And then they'd have their utopia for themselves. Anyway, climate modeling failures as a unequivocal unequivocal and ubiquitous for a multitude of reasons. A new study adds yet another reason as researchers determine the IPCC models incorrectly assume a historical polar amplification that did not happen. And it's all from the EU research now, the new European research. 
says climate models are notoriously bad at predicting future climate conditions, which is a preponderance of empirical evidence as, uh, substantiates. This magnitude of failure is likely to be partially due to faulty assumptions about the past climates. But we're all supposed to go on their assumptions on everything, you know, and give up all our freedoms and rights and get herded in these cities. Start sharing the beds to keep heat, you know, because we can't afford oil eventually. One key assumption of the climate models is the northern polar regions in the past experienced an amplification of warming versus that of the mid-northern latitudes, and thus would do the same in the future. The adjacent chart shows such application for the Antarctica some 130,000 years ago during the Eemian period, but did the same amplified warning happen during the Eemian period for the sub-Arctic and Arctic regions? So I'll put this up for those that want to wade through it, but it does show you that they're, they're, all these expensive models were just a lot of ballyhoo for a, for, a, for a social purpose, for an agenda, you see. That's what it really is for. And out of Britain... Out comes a member of Parliament who says it's morally wrong to pay tradesmen cash in hand, says David Gock. People who pay cash in hand to tradesmen are morally wrong, damaging the economy and helping tax evaders, a minister has warned, a politician. It says that he's a treasury minister, the guy that you know, scrapes all the cash off the public for the big corporations. He told the Daily Telegraph that the homeowners who allowed workmen to evade value-added tax or income tax were forcing others to pay more. There's never enough, though. It wouldn't matter you know, if they had all your paychecks given to them. Because government has, needs all that tax money to, to give to the corporations who've always got big building projects or, or keeping you safe with building new drones and stuff like that, you see. His comments reflect growing concern in Whitehall about the cash-in-hand economy, which costs billions of, uh, and billions of pounds a year and lost tax revenues. However, critics accuse the government of being unnecessarily moralistic about ordinary people trying to keep their household bills down. Mr. Gawk, the, the Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, said getting a discount with your plumber by paying cash in hand is something that is a big cost to the revenue and means others have to pay more in tax. I think the plumber thing, I just say, well, flush the toilet and just flush it down there. And as I say, there's never enough cash to keep these bar stewards going, these big, you know, the guys from these special schools, special families. Because that's all it's for now. That's your, your job is to pay taxes for big corporations to take and grants. And the banks too, of course. These get bailed out all the time. And, and then the big corporations who build all the, the, the war machinery that's going to keep us all in place as we go into big austerity. That's what it's for. There's never enough taxes for it all, you see. And the big paychecks they give each other too. You know, and benefits and, and all that kind of stuff. Special hospital treatments and healthcare. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.